2: That's a quote from Winston S. Churchill, <laughs> the great. Uh, hello, and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people, a platform give teens a voice, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, creator and producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. Before we get into today's show, Be The Star You Are's volunteers and I want to urge you to check out our website at btsya.org. Make sure you go to the events tab to find exciting events that we have coming up. And also visit us at expressyourselfteenradio.com to check out past editions of our show. We're thrilled to have received a certificate of recognition from the California legislature honoring Be The Star You Are volunteers for 20 years of dedicated service to the community through literacy and positive media messages. And we're determined to continue our empowering efforts.
3: For our first segment of today's show, we'll be reading The Gift of Success by Dr. Bernie Siegel from the Be the Star You Are for Teens anthology. Dr. Siegel is a renowned writer and retired pediatric pediatric physician who has published several works on physical, spiritual, and psychological healing. So without further ado, here is The Gift of Success. One young man said to me, My father ruined my life when I was 21. He gave me a million dollars and told me I had to be a success. What would his father have said if he started a charity with the money? What is success anyway? I have witnessed the suffering of many children of millionaires whose parents give them money to use to make more money to become a success. These parents are giving their children mod- mottos to die and not live by it. What is your definition of success? If it is a big estate, a fancy car, and lots of dollars in your pockets, you will never be happy or successful. When speaking to a group of young business owners who were millionaires, I asked, is life fair? They yelled no louder than any group I have ever spoken to, and I didn't feel any more successful. A very sad young man was in therapy because he was devastated that he was not a quote-unquote success, according to his standards. One day, a light bulb went on, and he exclaimed, When you are a success, you are not happy, but when you are happy, you are a success. Bingo. Happiness is success, not the other way around.
2: When we help others, it makes us happy. Decide how you want to serve the world, and then go and do it because you'll be living your life and accomplishing what we are all here to accomplish in our lifetime. And when you enjoy serving in your Mue, Monday morning will not be a threat to your health and you'll never really feel like you're working because it's only work if there's someplace else that you'd rather be. So accept the fact that you're mortal and don't waste your time doing what you don't want to do. Learn to say no to the world and yes to yourself.
3: When I was a child, my parents taught me that being happy was being successful. When a decision was to be made, there was only one way to decide. Do what will make you happy. When troubles and difficulties occurred, which are inevitable, I heard, God is redirecting you. Something good will come of this. And when material things and finances were involved, my parents would say, money is to make life easier for people. I came from a minority group. I was loved by my parents, studied diligently, and got along with God.
2: So understand that a perfect world is a magic trick and not a creation, What makes our love and actions meaningful is the fact that we have a choice, because life is simply a school to to live, laugh, and learn, and there are no mistakes, there's just lessons to be learned. We were meant to be human beings and not human doings, so success is not determined by the money in your bank account, but by the love in your heart.
3: And the exercise at the end of the chapter is called Success Meter. Make a list of all the simple things you are capable of doing and grateful for. Tying your shoes, making a bed, tossing a salad, mowing the lawn, babysitting, etc. Then make a list of all of your positive actions and qualities. Helping a friend, upbeat personality, caring heart. Every day, add at least three items to your lists and keep rehearsing until you do feel confident. Never think of yourself as a failure. Then pat yourself on the back, smile, and revel in your success. Happiness is success. A a successful life is your choice. And that last quote is from our producer, Cynthia Bryan.
2: Wow, that's a really incredible chapter uh, by Dr. Siegel, and I think he makes a lot of really good points. I think, in particular, uh, a lot of people are striving for success in a monetary sense or career wise. Or- or in the academic spheres. And I think while that's important, uh, it's also important to take a step back and remember that that's not all there is to it, right? There's other things in life that are more centered around the present and around what you're currently going through in a specific moment. And if you don't enjoy those moments, then... And and you're always looking forward during those times when you should be enjoying something. It really makes it difficult to live a full life because you're always looking towards the next thing instead of, you know, being content with where you are in the present.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, he articulated a really cool nuance of the whole, you know, the monetary success is not always, you know, true success. Um, that message, you know, is kind of like a. I guess, widely universal thing, but it goes in one ear, out the other for a lot of people, I guess. I think he makes a really cool um, specific point here when he brings up his uh, parents' quote. uh, Money is to make life easier for people. So keeping it in that perspective where money, um, even like education, all that kind of stuff, um, yes, it's really important, but at the end of the day, they're all tools to help you better yourself. They're not the end goal. They're not something that you measure yourself by.
2: Absolutely. I think money is necessary but not sufficient. You know, you bring in that age-old adage. But I think it's pretty true in, when you look at you know, monetary resources because we all have to have sort of that, that base for living, right, that standard of living at, at a certain level uh, in order to not be completely miserable and have all of our needs taken care of. But I think a lot of studies have shown that as you go up from that level, there's really not much of an increase in happiness from that base standard of living to the next tiers above it. So that is a really important takeaway. I definitely agree with you that, you know, you don't need to accumulate wealth to accumulate happiness. Like the two are not interrelated. I think you can, you can have a good amount of money to provide for yourself. And then from there, you've got to seek intrinsic happiness instead of some sort of extrinsic motivation.
3: Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, of course, like at the end of the day, money is an important thing to have. But yeah, like just keeping it in the scope of um, that's not the finish line, right? Like getting more money is, isn't going to like inherently change anything. Um, I guess it just gives you that kind of stability, that platform to allow yourself to become happier. You know, it's not it's not like, uh, I guess it's not like a benchmark in and of itself. It's more of a platform or a support.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think so. And I think we we have to take care that it doesn't become a stressor, right? That it doesn't cause anxiety. Yeah. You don't have enough funds. Uh, but I think it's, it, it's exactly that. You don't want it to be a stressor. You want the monetary aspect to be pretty as close to neutral as you can get it. I don't think it should be a positive motivator and I don't think it should be a negative stressor. I think, you know, you just, you do what you can to make a good life for yourself. And it's important as, as you said, Kenneth, and as Dr. Siegel mentioned to, to use that money to better your life and to pay attention to what it's doing for your life rather than to the cold, hard numbers, to how much is in your bank account, whether your bank account looks like a phone number or not. Like, that's (laughs) important, you know? Um, And I think a lot of people do forget that, especially in in this sort of modern, fast-paced society where we're all looking to make the biggest paycheck. So, I don't know. I think a lot of the times, not only are we not incentivized by the, the paycheck that comes along with a certain that would work in a certain field of studies, we're actually kind of turned away from it, uh, or at least speaking from personal experience. I, my dad is a computer scientist, and obviously a computer scientist nowadays does make a lot of money. <laughs> 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 and and it's, it's a big factor for a lot of people who want to make sure that they have that monetary stability, that, that they want to make sure that money doesn't become a stressor. But every time I looked at the field of computer science, I would look first at the paycheck and not at the intrinsic value of the work. So for me, I was never able to find that intrinsic value. And I, I, that's a point of regret for me. I wish I would have seen the field from, from a perspective different than the one that I hold now, that I kind of formed throughout my I don't know my adolescent years, um, and I think it would have made it a lot more enjoyable for me to to delve into some programming. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Like you have no. any-
3: yeah, I I, I kinda <laughs> went through the exact same journey where, um, yeah, I was never really into like a computer computer science like kind of thing, right? Um, I was like surrounded by it growing up in the Bay Area, but it was just never uh, something that I was immediately attracted to. And I felt I tied a lot of like monetary value to it like you did since it was like the big the big new field where people going into that like whole industry usually made like really big money. Um, yeah, but it was always tied to that kind of uh, like numerical value or that monetary value. So I never really uh, came to appreciate it for just like the skill of it. You know, like computer science is a really cool thing and it's like a really useful uh I it's like area of knowledge to have. Um, but I was just kind of, I guess my perspective on it was just kind of distorted by that. Um, and yeah, and I think, of course, it is like important to mention that uh, if you just do want to have that stability, if you do want to make like a lot of money at a job, that's not like an invalid desire. You know, if that's what makes you happy, like sure. But, you know, going solely for that kind of goal, of course, probably won't really do much to... Um, like truly make you happy or successful in the way you're expecting it to be.
2: Absolutely, well, I think it really hit me one day how skewed my view is on certain careers uh, and and they're linked to money. When I was I was talking to a computer science major um, when I was home for for Christmas break and I was discussing with him. You know, why? Why did he want to go into computer science? And so I expected, oh, stability. There's a lot of job opportunities. But what I got was a description about how computer science is art, and how he loves creating this art out of, you know, algorithms and programming. <laughs> and so it really hit me. Uh, we were we were playing music of all things. Speaking of art, and so we were we were in. In an orchestral setting, we both had our violins out, and he turned to me and he said, "Computer science is like this. it's like art. It's creating art." And <laughs> so my my perception, just in comparison, with his was so skewed and twisted. I kind of shrank into myself, and I said, "Good for you. That sounds really cool." <laughs> um, but you know, those were wonderfully wise words from Bernie uh, in the Gift of Success, and. Thanks, Kenneth, for sharing your viewpoint. I was really excited to hear about that and to share my own uh, with you as well. Uh, Remember, audience, uh, Be the Star You Are for teens, as well as the newest establishment in the series, Be the Star You Are, which is titled Be the Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, Celebrating Gifts of Positive Voices in a Changing Digital World. Can be found at StarStyleStore.net. Again, that's StarStyleStore.net. So make sure you get your own copy of the book, Uh, and you can be inspired by Cynthia Bryan, the producer of Express Yourself and the founder of Be The Star You Are. You can be, again, further inspired by Express Yourself radio hosts like Asia Gonzalez and Jovan Hundle, and other teen and adult voices in writing with this new anthology and the other Be The Star You Are books
3: and remember that every bit of your purchase benefits the Be The Star You Are 501c3 charity and this Express Yourself program as a donation so make sure you get your copy today check out youtube.com slash Be The Star You Are for our fun and informative Be The Star You Are videos on living laughing and learning keep on listening as we continue our conversation on the gift of success
0: your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
1: Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's expressyourselfteenradio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. On the Right Road with host Paula Phillips has arrived at Voice America, With remarkable heart and realness, this popular program brings inspiration, ideas, opportunities, and help to teachers and parents around the globe who work daily to guide kids on the right road in school and in life. Join the Right Road family of kindness, uplifting, and support. Tune in to On the Right Road, live every first and third Sunday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
0: You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens.
2: Thanks for staying with us here at Express Yourself on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. In this next segment, we're joined by Olympic swimmer Kim Vandenberg, a specialist in the butterfly and freestyle strokes. Kim is a two-time gold medalist from the 2011 Pan American Games in the 200 fly and the 4x200 freestyle relay. Uh, She's also a silver medalist from the 2007 World Championships in the 200 fly and a three-time national champion in the 200 fly as well.
3: Since competing in the 2008 Beijing Olympics, she has traveled the world giving motivational talks and teaching swim clinics and private lessons to international schools throughout the United States, Asia, Australia, Europe, and South America. Kim continues to swim for the New York Athletic Club and is based in Brooklyn, New York. And with that, let's welcome Kim onto the show. Hi, Kim.
4: Hi, thank you for having me.
3: Hi, yeah, it's great to have you here. Um, I'm excited to talk to you today. You've accomplished a lot.
4: Thank you so Uh, much. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you as well.
3: Yeah, um, so I guess the first question is, how did you get your start in swimming?
4: Well, I grew up um, in Moraga, California, and we had a backyard pool, a very small pool, but my brothers and I spent a lot of time just playing in the backyard pool and making up games and eventually racing each other. So I grew up with the pool, and then I, I joined a swim team when I was about eight. Years old and was swimming every summer, and I've been swimming ever since.
2: Absolutely, that's amazing. I actually, funnily enough, uh, I also uh, grew up in Moraga and I joined the the Miramonte Swim Club when I was eight,
4: and did a amazing. <laughs> what swim team were you? So we you were probably of? we were probably in the same league. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's
2: crazy. That's um, you know, it's it's really interesting, um, because uh so a little oh. bit of background I guess. Uh yeah, I, I did some swimming in the Moraga area, I I joined kind of the local swim team, did some fall swimming, and I actually when I was ten years old, I came into the local sort of high school swimming pool swimming area and my mom said there's an Olympian over there she's out there <laughs> and signing t-shirts and and just speaking to all the kids you should go over there and talk to her yeah. you're you're a budding swimmer. Go out. And I was this tiny little shy, I don't know, 10-year-old. So I walked up. I had my little Orindo Aquatics local swim team shirt, and uh, and you were there, and you signed it. <laughs> and I still Amazing. So we've met. <laughs> we've already met. Right. It's crazy. <laughs> so when I heard that well, you were going to the show, and I... Uh, you know, I, I was configuring everything for it. I just, it was sort of like returning back to that, <laughs> to that start. That's star amazing, star. yeah.
4: Uh, Swimming is I, such a small world like that. I love it. It's like full circle.
2: I know, it's incredible. I, it chills down my spine, yeah. you know. Um, but I want <laughs> to ask, you are know, uh, you're, you're a freestyle and butterfly specialist. And I know that yes. a lot of swimmers, you know, they figure out their stroke or they... They find where they're specializing. So so why these strokes and, and how did you figure out or did you ever switch between, you know, focusing on on one stroke or the other?
4: Yes when I was eight years old, I mean butterflies always been my favorite. Um, Freestyle, I like freestyle, but butterfly was a little more natural, and I think for freestyle, I had to work more on the technique and pay more attention um, to, like, my left arm position, like, all the little details with freestyle, I had to have a little bit more awareness to try to get faster times, because when I was, like, 10 years old, one of my coaches said, oh, Kim, your butterfly's faster than your freestyle, and I was like, yeah, that's awesome, isn't it? And he was like, no. Freestyle is supposed to be the fastest stroke. You need to go faster in your freestyle. So he was like trying to make a point And I thought it was super cool that I was faster at butterfly. But then I realized that he was right. So I needed to work more on my freestyle. But um, butterfly is still my favorite. I love swimming it. I think I love swimming it so much because it is challenging. It's really mentally challenging to swim butterfly, especially a 200 butterfly. Okay. Um, and I like that challenge. I find it really interesting to see what happens in your mind when you're in the middle of a really hard race.
2: Absolutely. You know, people say, oh, the 200 fly or even <laughs> the 100 fly used to scare me. I, I stuck to 50s. That was, <laughs> I didn't want to go there. Um, but yeah. I, you know, it, it's interesting to see how yeah, exactly. As you said, how the mind deals with that. Because I was a very frenetic child, very anxious about everything, and so when I heard that I'd be swimming long distance fly in whatever event, I would freak out. Um, my sister's yeah. in Yeah, she's swimming right now and she she has this like calming aura. She's like, It's fine, it's whatever and so how do you deal with that sort of stress? You know, when you're when you're under pressure for, for an event or for some sort of big race. Yeah. You,
4: <laughs> I, I yeah, I find it really helpful to visualize races, you know as you approach a competition. Like months out or weeks out, you could start mentally visualizing each step of the race. You know, how many underwater kicks are you going to do? What's your breathing pattern going to be like? So I would use that tool and I would visualize kind of like meditation about my competition and think about how I'm I'm going to strategize my race plan. So the more I focused on that and could see myself and feel myself doing that in the water, once I got to the competition, I knew that I was ready because I had seen it happen in my mind already.
3: Um, yeah. And speaking of like getting your mentality ready, uh, how does the environment on a swim team work? Cause like swimming is a individualistic like event, right? But obviously there are teams that are organized that kind of support each other. How does mm-hmm. that environment like actually like function?
4: Yeah, I definitely think swimming has both. I mean, swimming is individual, but you're, you're also on a swim team and you're also on relays. I was, I was really lucky to be on the relay for the Olympic team in the 4x200 freestyle. So I was able to experience that amazing opportunity with my teammates. And so I, I do feel like swimming is more of a team um, a team environment because you're scoring points you know, for your country if you're at the Olympic Games or you're scoring points for your high school if you're swimming for high school. Um, it is both. It's individual and a team. And the team is like your family. I mean, you see these people twice a day every day you're traveling with them so for me it's like extended family having a lot of sisters and brothers and then the coaches become like family as well because you're with them as you're growing up and you're with them pretty much every single day
2: absolutely you know they're they're on that journey with you and so you know obviously forming this family is really important to establishing that den that winning dynamic so to speak for the olympics yeah competitions and so how how does the process of of you know forming that family work how do you qualify for the olympics because i understand there's there's you know there's the qualifying trials there's a bunch of different steps and is it easier to make it onto this team and you know kind of have access to the sport network as a specialist or as like a generalist in a lot of the
4: strokes Well, for the it's different for every country. For for the United States, um, we have Olympic trials, and so you qualify for the Olympic trials by going the Olympic trials time standard. So, like for the 200 fly, you have to go a certain time to make it to trials. So, you, the first step is getting the trials cut, and then you go to Olympic trials. And at the Olympic trials, you have preliminaries. So you're swimming in the morning. Everyone swims the event in the morning, and then you have to make semifinals semifinals is top 16 and then in semifinals you have to make top eight which is the finals and then you compete in the final heat and you have to make top two individually and you have to make top six for the relay so it's a it's a long process to finally be able to make the Olympic team and the United States is you know one of the best countries in the world for swimming so we we have a really deep talented pool of swimmers (laughs)
2: Absolutely. <laughs> Pool of swimmers. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I during I, I feel like uh I know that in between races, you know, when you when you're on the block, kind of in the zone, you're about to Jump in! You're waiting for that starting gun. But do between races, do you ever get in your own head, and how do you pull yourself out of it when you're when you're waiting yeah, on yeah. that next heat and waiting to to go out there and race?
4: Well, I think it, I mean that changes depending on how you swam in your you know how the races went. So if you had a great race, um, like when I when I swam really well, I was excited for the next event. I think the hardest thing is when you have a bad race and then you have another race coming up, how do you bounce back from that? And how do you shift your mindset? And so a lot of the work that I've done with my sports psychologist throughout the years is to work on being in the moment. You know, so if I had two 200s, like let's say I had a 200 free and then 200 fly back to back, I would only think about the race right in front of me. I was like, okay, I have a 200 free, I have four 50s free. You know, I'd break it down. I have to use eight free. This is what I'm going to do. So I really tried to hone in on where I was at and then after that race I would focus on the 200 fly so but with swimming and with dealing with you know all these competitions and all these races I was able and I'm still able to focus in on the moment
3: and when you're training for your um, different events like talking about I guess being in the moment um, obviously like uh, when you want to improve at like a certain event um, you should like plan out how you kind of Work towards a certain goal, right? Um, kind of almost yeah. like the opposite of that. Um, how does that work? How do you set like what things you want to improve on? What like immediate goals you have? Um, what like mm-hmm. long term goals you have? How do you organize those
4: with your coach? You know, so if you have a conversation with your coach about where you're at right now, you know, you have your time that you just went at the last competition, and then you look at a certain time standard. Like, let's say you want to try to get the Olympic trial cut. So you look at the Olympic trial cuts or if you want a junior national time or national time. So you kind of look at where you want to go, talk to your coach about how you could get there. And for me, it was just the details of race strategy. Like, how do I want to split this race? You know, it's 450s. Where do, how do I want to go out? Do I want to go out fast or do I want to go out in a certain time and then come back the last 350s um, like in, in a consistent time. So a lot of it is just kind of strategizing. And a lot of it is just like failing, like you you have to like, you have to fail to figure out what you need to do to succeed. So I like to joke that I failed my way to success, because I missed the Olympic team so many times, like I've gone to the Olympic trials five times, I made it once, you know, so I look at all the experiences I had from failing, you know, quote, unquote, and it, it helps me have the tools I needed to succeed.
2: Absolutely, you know it's the it's the four times you miss that make the one that <laughs> that that yeah. you you know succeed in all the more powerful and formative. And so I know a lot of a lot of younger swimmers. Uh, I, I a couple years back, a few years back, I read Natalie Coghlan's book on on her journey, or or she had co-written it with someone or something like that. It was a biography. Yeah. her right and she she spoke about peaking and and kind of Mm -hmm. hitting a wall with times and with with your technique even as you grow Mm -hmm. older hit a certain age did you ever experience Mm -hmm. that and do you know like how what what's the best way to deal with it
4: well everyone's journey is different so it's really hard to compare one athlete to another I mean some some people I know went really fast when they were in their early 20s, but then they went even faster in their late 20s. I mean, it's really hard to say because everyone has a different experience, a different journey in their swimming careers. Um, There's definitely years when you swim faster. There's years when you're hitting a wall, when you're not getting better, but you're putting all the work in. And at the end of the day, it's just, it's a journey. It's like, what did you learn from those hard moments? What did you take away? What did you learn about yourself? Um, because you really don't remember the exact times that you went. It's more about, were you happy? Was I happy at that time? How did I feel at that competition? Um, those are the takeaways from the journey at the end.
3: Um, do you think you have any like key moments that kind of uh, landmark your journey through your competitive swimming career, like specific events, specific competitions, or even just, I guess, smaller <laughs> moments in that that you really attribute yeah. as, like, pillars of your success.
4: Well, I think it's interesting to to figure out what success means to, to you. I mean, everyone has a different, you know, people are like, Oh, what was your best race? It must've been at the Olympics, but that's actually not, you know, what I swimming at the Olympics was incredible. It was such an honor to represent the United States, but that wasn't my favorite memory. Like one of my favorite memories in swimming was probably at the world championships, you know, which, which is, a huge competition it's the biggest competition besides the olympic games but i was able to race the uh, world record holder in the 200 fly in her home country in australia and racing in australia is so much fun because australians love swimming so that was also the first time that i that i got a silver medal you know I, i was the second in the world that year and it was just so much fun being there so world championships is definitely one of my highlights but you know that wasn't That's not as big as the Olympic Games. So it's interesting to reflect on on those past experiences because they're often a little bit different than what people interpret them to be.
2: Absolutely. You know, success is, uh, you know, define how you want it to be. And if, you know, it it differs from people's what public perceptions of of, of what they think your success should be for you uh, versus what you actually define as success. And, you know, yeah. I, I wanted to ask him about, uh, I, I know that you're empowering young swimmers and and really working through kind of the coaching process and making sure that kids have a positive experience with swimming and with developing those skills. Yeah. And so I, I know also that a, a lot of the times competition, aggressive competition starts very young within the swimming community so that kids have this foundation that they can build up of. But but it's also pretty stressful for for youths to go through that and so how Mm -hmm. young do you think is is too young to start introducing that sort of competition into the swimming culture and and do you think Mm -hmm. do you think it's necessary to build that foundation or should we wait and hold off on that
4: well I think it's again it's individual every athlete's different I mean I work with younger kids who are like six seven years old that are super competitive and wanting to go best times already so it starts really young but also I think it's important to maintain a level of like lightheartedness like to have fun with the sport like for me i i love the sport because growing up i was having fun with my brothers i was having fun with my friends so i try to make it fun for these younger kids to you know enjoy doing relays and practice or doing like some funny games that also are helping your technique and to try to make it not so serious because it gets really serious as you get older as you maybe so in college or beyond so for for me, I think the most important thing is making sure that the kids are happy they're having fun, and that they stay passionate about what they're doing
3: mm-hmm. um when you started out, uh did you find it like easy to start um i guess not the word might not be easy, but like did you find yourself like mostly comfortable with um, i guess like swimming um, competitively kind of getting into that more competitive mindset because I know mm-hmm. like swimming is kind of like a polarizing thing, right? Some people are very like yeah. scared of it. Some people are really uncomfortable in the water, while others just like, yeah. thrive in it. Uh, how was your experience when you were like starting that young?
4: I loved racing. I've, I've always loved racing. I think the first experience I had um, when I was really uncomfortable racing was at my first Olympic trials. I was really nervous. It was my first time being at such a high level. You know, I had never raced Olympians, the world record holders, American record holders. I was super intimidated. Um, and so because of that, I was doing horrible. Like all my races, I was focused on other people. I was not in my zone. I was not in my own race strategy. I was distracted. I would say that was the word. But because of that, I learned how to manage that the next time I went to Olympic trials, trial. So I think every athlete kind of goes through moments where they love racing and then moments where they – have a difficult experience and that's, I think, what defines an athlete is to figure out what you take away from those experiences when you don't perform the way you wanted to or, you know, you're disappointed or you're heartbroken because you didn't perform well and I think that's just part of the journey like we've talked about so much so far. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. I think oh, it's some, some, you know a lot of a lot of what you said just now just uh, hit me for sure. I I would cry. Yeah. I would just cry after every bad race, and I think yeah, you know it's it's hard to get up from that, but I think it's necessary. It's necessary to dry <laughs> your tears and and keep going. Um, but you know yeah. I wanted to ask. Speaking of 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 those levels, you know, or like like competitions on certain tiers do you think there's a fundamental difference between swimming at like a recreational level you know that year-round level college level especially like are there fundamental differences that you feel or are you just in your element is is swimming just the core of that that unites all of them
4: um wait so can you reframe the question a little bit you're, you're talking about can you say that again
2: Yeah, I think uh, on a simplistic level, really, (laughs) just just removing all those extra words that I threw out there. How does a college swimming environment sort of differ from high school and maybe high school from, from, you know, recreational swimming?
4: Right. Well, it's a lot more intense. I mean, you're swimming, you're doing a lot of dual meets, you're competing a lot more, and then you're training a lot harder. Like when I went to UCLA as a freshman, I had never really done dry land as seriously you know like the weight room was a huge hit it was really difficult to be in the weight room three three to four times a week and then have extra muscle and to start swimming more than I was used to swimming so the workload and the training was a lot a lot more difficult than high school so I had a difficult transition as do most freshmen going into college and I think the the benefit of that was that All the freshmen are kind of experiencing the same thing, and we all went through that together. And so you have a closer bond with your teammates. You're traveling all the time. Like I said, you're competing. You're studying. You're going to finals week. It's just a little bit more intense. That's how I would describe it. But it's also a lot of fun. It's super exciting. It's such an opportunity to be able to travel, to be able to have close relationships with your teammates, and create friendships that will last a lifetime.
3: Yeah. And, you know, speaking of, like, those adaptations you made, those, like, changing experiences, um, when you teach, uh, I guess, younger kids, uh, give private lessons to other people, um, is there anything, like, specific that you try to focus on in terms of, like, mentality or, uh, I guess, maybe, like, personality or anything uh, to help, like, younger athletes kind of go through the journey you did of having Mm -hmm. to accept that change and that adaptation? Is there something that you say or something that you kind of teach specifically?
4: Yeah. I think with all my younger swimmers that I work with, I think just creating and cultivating awareness. I think a lot of times they're just not really aware of, you know, if they're breathing off the walls or if their streamlines are tight enough, like a lot of it is just having body awareness and tuning into your breath work. And, you know, maybe some of the kids get a little bit anxious before their competitions. And so we talk about, why? You know, what what are they thinking about? What's creating those anxious thoughts? And a lot of that is just based on fear. They're like, well, what if I can't finish the 100 fly? What if I can't, you know, what if this? What if that? And I'm like, the what if game is a terrible game to play. You know, you could play that game forever and it's going to be a black hole of what if. What we can do is talk about how you're going to race. What are you going to do specifically when you dive in the water? How many kicks are you going to do? When are you going to, you know, take your breaths? Like, how are you going to feel coming off that last wall? And so I try to break it down and work with them on what they can control and try to take away, you know, the distractions, which are what they can't control. They can't control what lane one's doing if they're in lane four. You know, you can't control other swimmers. You can only focus on yourself. And so I try to empower them that way. And you know, remind them of their talents and their races, how they felt in practice, you know, so we kind of work a lot on that, and just discuss fears and separate the fears, separate the distractions from what they're going to do at the competition
2: absolutely I think that's that's really important, just awareness, making sure that you're you're in your own mental game and, and being able to work through everything. And so as the show comes to an end on this segment, I want to ask Kim, what does success really mean to you? And do you feel successful where you are now? Are you constantly creating new goals? Where does the term Mm -hmm. success stand for you?
4: For me, I think success is trying your best. You know, like if I had a disappointing race, many, you know, I had many disappointing races, but my mom and I would talk about it because I would be upset And she would ask me, Kim, did you give 100% effort in that race? And I'd be like, yes. And then I'd be like, but this and this and this and this and this. And so we talked about that success. Putting 100% effort, having a good attitude about it, and, you know, walking away from that, being like, I couldn't have changed anything because I I gave 100% effort. So with my swimming career, I definitely 100% know that I gave everything I could, and I always try to give everything I can when I'm teaching the kids, when I'm mentoring athletes. So I think success is giving 100% effort and learning from the mistakes and having an open mind to learning more and to figure out how to improve and be better down the line. Um, That's what success is for me.
2: Yeah, I think that's a definition to live by. Uh, well, thank you so yes. much, Kim, for sharing your incredible journey with us and, and all your wonderful perspectives on success and swimming and finding yourself, essentially. Uh, so, Adia, yes. right, it's, it's been wonderful to have you on and speak with you mm-hmm. about. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank
4: you for having me.
2: Absolutely. At any time. This has been <laughs> wonderful. It's our pleasure. Uh, but audience, make sure you find out more about Kim at kimswimstudios.com. And as a professional athlete and an Olympian, she also has a Wikipedia page. So you can check her out there, too. Uh, make sure to support our show and learn about upcoming BTSYA events at bethestarur.org. I'm Brigitte Gia
3: and I'm Kenneth John. Support more segments like this one by donating to the Be The Star You Are 501c3 Literacy Charity that brings you this program at www.bethestarur.org. Visit www.bethestarur.org to find out more about spreading positivity with Be The Star You Are. Stick around for more on the gift of success.
1: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Looking for entertainment news from a kid's perspective? Tune into Kids First Coming Attractions on Voice America's Empowerment Channel. The kids' first film critic review all the latest movies, TV shows, and digital media before they're released. Interview celebrities and share all that and more so you can make informed decisions about what you select to watch. Our reporters, ages 8 to 21, bring you a kid's perspective on media targeted for kids and families. Kids First Coming Attractions plays every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app
2: if
4: you have an iPhone, Android, or Amazon Kindle. The Voice America interactive radio player powered by Aircast gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America
2: hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for your iPhone, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple App Store Amazon or
1: Google Play.
2: I'm Brigitte Gia, and in this segment, we'll be concluding on our show about the gift of success.
3: Finishing today's wonderful show is Be The Star You Are reporter Arjun Clare with a success-centered edition of his segment, Innovation Nation.
5: Uh, take it away, Arjun. Hi, everyone. My name is Arjun Clare, and I'm happy to be coming to you again with another edition of Innovation Nation. Today, I'm excited to talk to you about innovation and how it can relate to success. Innovation has led to success in many different ways. One of these is through wars. Yeah, you heard me correctly. I did say wars. So let me explain. War, although it isn't wanted, has been one of the best ways for innovations to come about. Well, you might be wondering why. Well, it's because since the beginning of time and earliest wars, it has forced people and nations to adapt and overcome obstacles in order to survive. A great example shows how new innovations came out of war is the Civil War itself, which is widely recognized to be the first modern war. One of the best examples of an amazing innovation that has come out of the Civil War was the telegraph. The telegraph was invented by Samuel Morse in 1844, and soon after, telegraph wires began to pop up all over the East Coast. During the war, 15,000 miles of telegraph wires were laid purely for for military purposes. Things like mobile telegraph wagons were made to report and receive communications from just behind the front lines. The telegraph also allowed many people, including President Lincoln himself, to go to the telegraph office and be updated on the latest news of what was happening on the front lines of the war. The result of this innovation was a start to a more modern media as we know it today. And the telegraph hasn't been the only innovation to come out of the Civil War. Another was the use of railroads. Although railroads had been used before the war, they began to become even more useful for moving men and supplies to the places where they were needed most. This played a big part in the North winning the war because they had 10,000 more miles of railroad tracks than the South did, which allowed them to move to necessary locations much more quickly and thereby cementing the importance of logistics and their importance in getting supplies from one location to another. And many other things came out of the Civil War, such as longer range longer range weapons, ironclad warships, naval mines, the Gatling gun, and the first ambulance. The brainchild of Jonathan Letterman, medical director of the Army of the Potomac, the ambulance would allow people to go into the field, pick up the wounded, and deliver them to dressing stations and then to field hospitals. To this day, the military bases its ambulance system on Letterman's original ideas. However, the Civil War hasn't been the only war that has led to innovations. The Cold War is another that led to, the, to one of the biggest jumps in mankind's history, the space race. The United States and the Soviet Union engaged in a competition in 1955 to see who could put a man on the moon first. In just two years, the Soviet Union had already put the first satellite into orbit. And just 12 years after that, the U.S. was able to put Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin on the moon and return them safely. Lots of new technology and innovations came out of the space race. But one that many people might not know about is Velcro. Velcro, although first developed by a Swiss man named Georges de Mestral in the 1940s, was improved upon and commercialized by NASA during the space race. Velcro was used by astronauts to secure secure pens, food packets, and other equipment that they didn't want floating around in their spaceship's cabin, because it was much easier to grab and put back instead of tying those items down. And now, the war isn't the only human event that has produced or led to innovations. I spoke about the world's first ambulance and how it came out of the Civil War. But that is not the only medical innovation that has led to major success. There have been many, many medical innovations over the years that have changed the world. One of the most important and widely used medical innovations is the vaccine. The first vaccine was invented by Edward Jenner in 1796 and was used to treat smallpox victims. However, it wasn't until the late 1940s that vaccines began to go into large-scale production. As the years have gone by, more and more vaccines have been created, with one of the biggest being the polio vaccine. A polio outbreak had been on the rise, and many parents were worried about it. They even sent dimes to the White House to help the cause of creating a polio vaccine. When the polio vaccine was made and licensed in 1955, the inventor, Jonas Salk, became an overnight hero. So, as you've heard, Innovations can lead to success in a multitude of different ways, and more are constantly on the horizon, and that's today's, and that's today's Innovation Nation's take on success. I hope you've enjoyed it, and once again, I'm Arjun Clare and thanks for listening to, this, to today's edition of Innovation Nation.
3: Wow, thanks, Arjun. Uh, yeah, that was really cool. There are a lot of things that I didn't know, like tracking the ambulance back to the Civil War and Velcro back to the Cold War. Yeah, that was really interesting. Um, yeah, and I'm kind of interested in how we could potentially be seeing something like that today. Um, do you think there's any like, problem or issue that you think might be addressed in the next few years or decade that kind of uh, takes the same influence as one of these inventions you talked about?
5: Yeah, definitely. So I think one of the biggest things doesn't really address a problem as much as just being helpful in general, and that's artificial intelligence. And artificial intelligence has been on the rise for a really long while, but it's just been recently that it started to gain more and more traction in the world and people are starting to take more notice of it. And with artificial intelligence, as much as some people might not like it that much, uh, it can be really, really useful.
2: Absolutely, I'm super excited about uh, the new AI revolution. Um, what's What I think is pretty cool about it, uh, and i'm I'm glad you brought up AI in the first place uh, is the integration be between the computer realm kind of and sort of the the biology realm um, because a lot of a lot of like ai networks and and details that happen in the ai sphere are based on or modeled after the human brain and, and how how it works so maybe that is a that is a definition of human success you know to be to have our brains function so well that ai are modeled and supercomputers are modeled after the the natural structure of the human brain and how we think um, but i also want to ask arjun you know um are just basing on success as a whole like, how do you define success and do you, do you think that if you were to you know someday be able to create an innovation that would impact many lives would that be the definition of success for you or are you looking towards more of a
5: maybe like a personal success like how do you define that term well for me i've always known that with success you have to have failures before you can reach that success. And I think it's really important that everyone knows that because failures are one of the best things. They're one of the best teachers that you can have because if you fail and you learn why you failed and how you failed, you know how to better fix it the next time and that can lead to success. And as for me, I define success less in a personal way. So if I was making an innovation or, like, making something new, inventing something. And I would want it to be successful in the way that I impacted the whole world with it. And the whole world can find use with it.
3: Yeah, I think that's a really cool way to kind of um, contextualize, like, societal success. um, Something that really makes, like, a difference or, I guess, gets, like, our civilizations as a whole past, like, a certain obstacle. Um, Yeah, and kind of just use that as a landmark for success.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, thank you so much, Arjun, for sharing your Innovation Nation segment with us. As always, you know, I definitely learned a lot. And, and I'm super surprised at how much we've, you know, how far we've really come and with all these little and big steps towards impacting a lot of people with innovations. Uh, Audience, make sure you support BTSYA and find information on our creative community, charity efforts, and outreach service programs on our main site at BeTheStarYouAre.org. Stay, you know, keep listening to Express Yourself every week for more segments like those from Arjun um, and from other reporters and hosts and guests on the show. I'm Brigitte Gia, and you've been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens.
3: I'm Kenneth John. As always, we give our thanks to Starstyle Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be the Star You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment Crew, especially our voice engineer, Josh. Thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world. Thank you to you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. Be active, believe in your success, and be here. Speak up, speak out, and express yourself.